0: Good day, nerds. This is Megan mccarthy Biank, your book reviewer and author interviewer at the Nerd Cantina. Um, today's Cantina conversation is with Russell R. James. We're talking about his book, uh, Demon Dagger, which comes out August 16th. Um, this book was really eerie and spooky and, you know, very much how you would, what would you, you would expect from the title. And it was a cool conversation talking about, um, you know, where he, what kind of draws him to the horror genre and where he gets his ideas. Um, but yeah, without further ado, here is Russell. Okay, so we've got Russell R. James today. We're talking about Demon Dagger. It's coming out August 13th um Russell thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today this book was a fun read and you know pretty uh horrific at times but entertaining so I'm glad that okay. we had yeah I'm glad that but we have did, some time it to talk job. today <laughs> yeah right <laughs> mission accomplished great okay so before we get started how about you give like a little um synopsis of you know the book so that like listeners can follow along with the conversation
1: Okay. Uh, Demon Dagger is a horror thriller about uh, demonic possession where uh, demons can possess people. And from the outside, it's a person you don't know, but they're possessed by a demon. Uh, One person, the lead in the story, Drew, has the ability to see those demons as they really are, not the person that the rest of us sees. And he learns this as a a young kid, when he realizes he's the only person who sees this, and that leads him to become a demon hunter. Uh, He gets trained for that. And then the bulk of the story is uh, in adulthood, one of those demons that's been sent back to hell escapes and repossesses someone else, and they're out for revenge. And Drew is on the list and the demon is not uh, above using his family first to make this revenge more sweet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty intense. And I have, um, you know, I have two little boys here at home. So I was like, oh, oh. yeah, those, uh, those moments definitely it pulled at the the heartstrings a little bit, but yeah, like you said, mission accomplished. Um, I, and and so-
1: I, one of my uh, proof, one of my beta readers was, someone with kids this age because i wanted to see you know how accurate this was and it got thumbs up so
0: yeah yeah that, well, that's good that um you know you had eyes on it that could uh could relate <laughs> for sure um because yeah it was moments like that where it was just and it will get into this but nicobar is like the like one of the grossest more horrifying characters i've ever I uh, read about a story. Yeah. But that's, yeah, but yeah, that's what you um, came out to do. So um, you do have quite a few titles under your belt. So how about we like go into your background and, you know, talk about um, like your experiences and maybe kind of like what draws you to the horror genre and, and, you know, how, how you kind of ended up with the story.
1: Um, well, I think that I know that the first book I read as a kid I read very early. I wanted to read as a child. My, I asked my parents, and they taught me. And I knew before I went to kindergarten uh, how to read. And so it's something that I've loved doing. The first book that I read that wasn't an assignment, you know, like for school, <laughs> and was really captivating. Uh, where I read the book and then all of a sudden I was reading and I looked up and 4 hours had passed by. It oh, wow. uh, was Stephen King's The Stand.
0: Okay. And
1: so I think that that colored me in the future about, you know, what what kind of stories really grab me and that's the kind of story I think you gravitate to when you're writing. Mm. So that's probably um, like a lot of other horror authors, I can blame Stephen King for, yeah. <laughs> but, you know. Now, most of my stories, I will start with an idea for a character or for a situation, or I might have, uh, you know, and that would, that would spark some ideas right there from the beginning that move on. Uh, and sometimes I'll have a really good ending and say, oh, that would be great. Now I have to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, this particular story actually was inspired in the middle because I live in central Florida. I go to the theme parks here, love them, have a great time. Uh, And at the theme parks, you never really know who is, I was thinking about this. Okay. That you never know who is inside the costume, Mm. you know? And the rumor is that the, Person in the Mickey Mouse costume is usually female because it's such a short character. So they try to get the right height, you know? So I thought, well, you never really know. Is it a male or a female being Mickey? Or, uh, and then of course, being a horror author, you start thinking, yeah, well, but who else is in there? You know, you have Mm. no idea. You assume it's a nice person because they have the big smiley head on. Mm. But, (laughs) you know, who could be in there? And then that progressed to, uh, sure, that would be terrible because everyone is in what they believe to be a safe environment. You know, it's a nice, happy theme park. So people would let their guard down and a bad person inside there might do something. And that ended up being a middle scene in this book Mm -hmm. um, where, where Drew and his family go to this theme park. So this is the only story I've ever had where I had to build the story out from both ends.
0: Okay. Whereas usually
1: I'm starting at the beginning and I'm working my way through.
0: That's really interesting. So how was that kind of like, what were the biggest lessons learned from taking that approach or having, having to go from the middle outward?
1: This story also has a lot of flashbacks where Mm -hmm. we taught, we learn about Drew's young years through flashbacks throughout the story, as opposed to uh, a straight line story where it starts when he's young and we learn about him and we follow his life all the way through. Mm -hmm. And, getting those flashbacks spaced properly in the story was a lot of work because you know you don't want to ruin the narrative flow of the story in general but there's things in the past that you have to understand so you get a little foreshadowing about what drew's gonna have to do in the future so they all have to be spaced in the right place so Mm. i ended up shuffling chapters a lot
0: oh okay oh yeah
1: wait a minute no one knows about this you know of course i know in my head but no one understands the box that the dagger's in okay well i'm about to introduce that when did you learn about it and then you add that chapter in earlier
0: yeah yeah because i i that's funny because like the very first um chapter i don't know if it's the prologue technically but where we meet um you know, one of the uh original players, if you wanna if you wanna put it that way. And it's just an old man in a wheelchair and yes. And then the story kind of jumps, but it's like, yeah, the reader knows he's this person is important or this detail mm-hmm. is important or this, you know, we're gonna learn more about him. But it's right. it's like kind of hooking them in, but then kind of like jumping over and it's like, well, the reader has to have faith that there's like a connection there. But I think that's a good example of how you, what you kind of just mentioned where you had to like move outward, but then you had to shuffle things around. And I, I bet that that was either something that maybe almost was just going to stay put at the beginning, or I don't know if that also got mixed into um, stuff that you had to shuffle around.
1: The first chapter of every book, a lot of times I write near the end. Okay. Um, because I have to know the first chapter should set the expectation for the reader. This is the mm. kind of story you're going to get. And these are some of the elements that are going to be in it. And until I have more of, I'm an organic writer. So I just, I don't have a plot and I just start and see where it goes, which right. if anybody is planning on being a professional writer, that is the worst possible, <laughs> least efficient way to write a book. Okay. Um So, but until I have that, then I've got a good feel for the story. Now I have a better feel for what that first chapter is going to be to get the story started off with. Mm. And um, in fact, in that chapter, you don't don't revisit that character till later. Right. He comes back in and it's only then that you'll be like, hey, wait a minute. I remember this guy. He was in the first chapter. So,
0: yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed like even if we're really talking about chap, um, characters, I, I, I liked all of them for the most part. Um, and then we could get into that a little bit later too. So what kind of research went into developing this story, if any, because I imagine, um, you know, I haven't read any of your other works, but I imagine some of this stuff you probably came across just from your writing, um, the genre that you tend to gravitate towards. So, was there anything new for for Demon Dagger? Like any other, um, any other like background research you had to do, or stuff you had to explore to develop the story?
1: Uh, part of the the deep backstory for this touches on the California mission system. That oh
0: right, right, right. Was set
1: up through through there in the uh, late 1700, 1700s for the most part.
0: Mm.
1: And so I did, to get that woven into the story, I definitely did a lot of historical research. I visited mm. a bunch of the missions on trips to California and okay. the restored ones are really amazing. Um, but then, so some of the dates and some of the specifics about that and how that works into the story, I made sure that that was historically accurate. Mm. so that the dates and times and locations were real places. Um, and in fact, the all of the places in the story are real places. All these settings mm. in Los Angeles are actual locations within Los Angeles that I have been to one at one point or another in visits there. So um, that was on-the-ground research, but I didn't know I was doing it until later. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so... Was it the mission? Was that, did that have some like uh, a satanic or, or demon ridding elements to it? Or was it, that was just kind of something that you used to play a part in, in your story?
1: The part about the mission system?
0: Yeah. yeah so was, that's yeah. all just totally made up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, it was, I was I mean, but- yeah, it's, I was just curious as to like, if, yeah, if you wanted to make sure it was accurate for your purposes or if it was really if that's really what they did what well, they were doing the, the mission
1: system where the the spanish government sent people up through california to start settlements because they were afraid the russians were going to come from the other side and mm. they were they were on their way down from alaska so they had to do that now what's odd is that the mission system each mission was set up with a military component and a religious component from the Catholic church. And so that happened in real life. So that, you know, we look at that and say, well, that's kind of odd. If you have a military mission, you send the military to do it, you know, and then you'll send farmers (laughs) and other people to live there. Um so as I looked at that I thought uh, why would you do that and of course now I can say oh because there's a demon problem that you're not going <laughs> to tell anybody about so we'll sneak all these church people so you know again that kind of worked its way in just sparking an idea
0: you made it fit in really well and it is I you know I think it falls in line with a lot of this type of uh literature or entertainment what have you mm-hmm. is that there is like definitely s- history or historical events or artifacts and what have you are pulled in to kind of connect it, either make it relevant or to explore what it might've, if that was really like, or, or what if, what if this, what if that? So, you know, it fitted really well and I thought it was really cool. Um, right. and, and it ended up being really uh, pivotal to <laughs> yes. the, to the team's efforts. How, How do you get into that? So there are some like really disturbing parts of this. Like, like I said earlier, like Nicobar, like he's a demon. I don't know. You write demons well. You could just like, you know, really reach into the depths of like your imagination of what, like a truly horrible thing being might be. And I really thought it was interesting how you kept referring it, not him or her, but as it. And that made a lot of sense that it was.
1: That was a big, discussion between me and don doria my editor at flame tree press Mm. and i said you know the other thing is that the demon can possess someone of any gender so Mm. you could have a the same demon could possess a female at one point and a male at another point but it's the same demon so um and nicobar actually takes a female host Mm -hmm. when who is who he possesses so part of that discussion with Don was I think this, the demons are gender free. So I think that, and if I, I can't say her, he, I think it ought to be it. And he said, yeah, I've read the manuscript and it's easy to follow and it makes the most sense. So.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think it's just some, I mean, it might throw people off, but you were very consistent and it made so much sense. Cause it's like, yeah, it's an, it. it's not, a human the Nicobar thinks humans are disgusting I and mean, it's a whole nother being it's a whole nother excuse me i'm like i'm gravitated to saying he so when i kept writing it oh like oh yeah it 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 but it makes so much sense to do it that way um and yeah and he it's just a horrible horrible character like just some of the things that like it laughed when you know what's his face that got his back broken it was Mm -hmm. you know that was an example of where i was like like jesus but yes of of course a demon would kind of find that entertaining or would not you know right because even yeah it wouldn't be like moral
1: center everything is simply for that creatures entertainment or advancement that's it they have
0: right like the hunt even as it plays it plays with the killings and all of that and it just yeah and yeah when i like kind of reflected on it i was just like oh yeah that makes sense that it it wouldn't be like oh shit i broke that guy's back it was just be like, oh, like, haha! Like sucks to sucks to be you, almost like it. Right? It's, or you know...
1: really? It sucks to be human. Sorry, yeah. guys. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we're we're the fallen angels. We were superior to you from the beginning. Then you know we got the short end of the stick, and now we're going to take it out on you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
0: Pretty much. I I don't know. I can't remember. I've only read a handful of uh books from the horror genre, so it's definitely a change of pace from what I've has been on my reading list recently. I did. um, I think I first got introduced not only by Stephen King, but more recently um, Daniel Krause, who I don't know if you're familiar with his work, Mm -hmm. but he's done. Yeah and And I've interviewed him a couple of times, and it's it's really funny um to kind of read like the horrible things and situations that he comes up with in his brain. but then when you talk to him, you're just like, "Oh like it's just like you know others just you guys are just very talented people, but you're also just very normal people like you." Just- <laughs> Yeah, my, and it's crazy my, to see like you could go almost any way with uh how you want to tell how many stories or what kind of mm-hmm. stories you want to tell and it's it's really fascinating to, to to kind of pick uh the author's brains i don't know something about it like as horrible as it could be and maybe it's also that um that same obsession with like true crime it's mm-hmm. it's probably something oh, along yeah. those people yeah. love
1: reading those things yeah
0: and,
1: you know i i mean i write some pretty creepy stuff, and depending on the book, it could be some pretty gruesome stuff, yeah,, uh, and you know my wife reads it and then puts the book down and looks at me like, <laughs> uh, what is that? Did you really <laughs> write that so She's learned to skip a few pages ahead.
0: Right. Now right. And then. It could be a little chilling if it was like your spouse for sure. It was like, wait, this this isn't your brain. Like what you know? Yeah, she has the- put a
1: book down, looked at me, and said, You're never gonna kill me in my sleep, are you? Right. So no, I'm not. <laughs>
0: Right, yeah, but it's also you know you just got to be like, well, this is just a, a healthy way for me to explore you know those horrible things, <laughs> just to make and, stories and out of it.
1: When you're writing something that's horrible, that's that's scary, it has to progress the plot. You yeah. know, if I I I don't watch a slasher movie as as an example because it's just ten people in a haunted house and one by one they get killed. I mean, that right. doesn't really you don't learn anything, there's no progression of the plot. Um, and you've got to place those things in such a position where they have a purpose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are things where in the story, such as when when Marvin is hunted down by Nicobar, you know, that's a pretty scary scene, but it's pretty crucial to the story. Yeah. Um and this, you know, the scene where You know, not to give things away, but there's a scene where the wife realizes there's something very wrong with her son. Yeah, that's that's a very horrible scene, but something that horrible has to happen for a mother to admit that this person who is absolutely the center of my life that I love with all my heart has something very wrong with them.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. And I think those were very important choices to make as well, because, yeah, we're following Drew because we want we're rooting for him. Right. (laughs) But then, then, yeah, he's still going through, uh, you know, normal couple marital problems, parenting, you know, whatever. And then, yeah, you have to go back and because you want to see how are things going over here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's so, I agree. It's so important to progress, like advance the plot and and not just hearing it after the fact. You're kind of the readers seeing it happen, watching it happen versus, you know, learning through another character.
1: Yeah. Then that's one of the decisions you have to make as the author is Mm -hmm. for this particular scene, whose point of view would it be most effective through? And then say, okay, that's going to, that's going to portray it the the best way to the reader. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to fashion that story around that, unless you're writing, writing something just in a first person point of view. And then that's all you've got. And it's a lot more challenging.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it definitely depends on the kind of story that you want to tell, whether you're going to do first or third person or, or mm-hmm. but then if you do multiple, multiple points of view and still stick it to first person then you have to like that's the challenge of differentiating oh. the voice and that's just a whole nother you know layer to, to the difficulty for you as the author to to create the story. Yeah I'm, um, I'm
1: not gonna rise to that challenge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah at least you know maybe someday but no not not for the not today. <laughs> so what how do you get into like the headspace to you know, going off of that, talking about like, you know, picking your brain of coming up with such horrible um, situations, like how, how do you get into the headspace for that? Cause most of your works are, if not all of your works are in the same, you know, genre, right?
1: Yeah. I've got, I've got uh, two, two categories where I'm writing horror, more traditional horror, whether it's ghost stories or post-apocalyptic stuff or things like mm. that um, with, Flame Tree Press and another publisher, and then I have another set of stories that are all giant monster adventure sci-fi kind of horror stories.
0: Okay, so how do you
1: through a different publisher? Okay, because that's their niche, so they love that. Flame Tree would not do a giant monster story, so it all works out for me. (laughs) Um, But so, but in doing that, I really need to focus on one or the other. There's a yeah. lot of authors that can simultaneously write things, but because these are all different, and even my horror books are different, that writing a suspense oriented ghost story is totally different from writing a uh, post apocalyptic grizzly kind of story there. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: I've got to stick with one and go with that. And uh, generally, my writing periods are long that okay. I'll sit for three and four hours to stay in uh, in that mindset
0: yeah um,
1: and I will usually only if I have multiple character POVs I will only write one at a time per day Okay, you know okay. I'll do two chapters from Drew's point of view and then you know I'll say okay well now I'm going to switch to Anna's point of view and I'll just write myself some notes mm. and say I'm going to do this tomorrow and okay. then I'll. That's where I'll start.
0: Like I didn't know if there was anything you do in particular to uh, get in the headspace to write such uh, terrible situations, <laughs> like, <laughs> such terrible details. But I guess it just, you know, some of your little little strategy or little um, like little habits, it would fall in line with people writing almost any genre. It's like you got your little. Well, Process. The research
1: helps a lot. I mean, because part of the, the, the plot point of the book is that people who lose their souls to a demon uh, become sociopaths.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: they've lost their moral center now. So I did a lot of sociopath research, which is very depressing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah,
1: it's and scary, but that, yeah. that, so that research informed decisions made on what the sociopath characters will do. So that, yeah. that that gets you down that path and says, these are some common things these folks will do, and then say, all right, well, now I'm going to have to write some of those awful things to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I really like how you acknowledge that because like how I mentioned before, it's like just almost along the lines of like people eating up the true crime um, mm-hmm. genre. And that's a lot of what I've noticed because, you know, I, I listen to the podcast, I read some books about it just – Here and there, I don't know. I'm one of those weird people. I don't know why I get fascinated by it. (laughs) I'm like, there's a yeah, there's like a couple documentaries where I convince my Mm -hmm. husband to watch with me. He's like, why do you want to watch this? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know. It's things like that where it's one thing that's kind of consistent for people who study the human brain and like why humans do such horrible things. And I that was very consistent with all of it. It's like yeah, like they take it as it is. They don't feel Mm -hmm. bad or good about. Like well, maybe they get some. Se- it depends. Like, there's you know, obviously different categories of like murders and sociopaths sure. and stuff. But like, it's either they they it brings them joy to have that power, or they have no more. They don't see why it's wrong, or they are curious and in in a very wrong way. And mm-hmm. it's yeah, a lot of how you how you described those types of characters that have their soul removed, um or I would say traded right um it's yeah (laughs) so this is a two-part question um what what were your favorite parts to write and then what were the most like challenging or difficult parts to write
1: i think by the time i was done my favorite character was marvin
0: yeah i really like him too (laughs) and
1: and i was like oh i really hope i can do another story with this guy in it i hope so
0: too yeah (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and when I first started writing the story, it, I didn't even have an idea that his character would be there. Mm-hmm. But I had some information that needed to be conveyed, so somebody had to be able to do it. Yeah. And I started thinking, well, who would know these things? And then Marvin just got more interesting and more interesting. The more I, the more I wrote on him. Um, so that was definitely the highlight when I got done was getting to explore yeah. his character because of the the all the different issues that he has emotionally and biologically and in every other way. Yeah. Um, The almost impossible part to write was turning their child, Mm. Drew's son evil. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. some of the things he does that I won't get into (laughs) Um, that, that was hard to write to make it horrible enough, but not, grotesque and unreadable, you know? Um, So that was definitely the most difficult.
0: Yeah. You definitely walked that line. I would say maybe like, yeah, you walked it just enough without going too far. So uh, thank you. That's what I tried to do. But if
1: if you're a non-horror reader and you could read it and not just close the book, then that's the line.
0: Yeah, right there. Yeah. Because
1: it's quite possible to get to a specific scene in a book and say, you know, like watching The Exorcist and say, "This is a pretty good movie." And the minute her head spins around, you turn the TV <laughs> off because you are like, "I'm not watching this." So yeah. a book can do the exact same thing, and and it can happen two thirds of the way through. You know, yeah. it doesn't. So the fact that you didn't close the book, I guess, means I did walk that line.
0: Good. Yeah, and you know, I you know, I'm not gonna um say that i i speak for all readers who don't follow that photo follow the Mm -hmm. that genre too closely but i think there's one 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 particular action that he carried out that i i saw it coming i think only because i was just like oh god he's gonna do that isn't he (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it wasn't like it wasn't to say it was predictable it was just like maybe because i know how how those personalities tend to sway and so because right. i yeah I'm like i'm trying to be very careful not to be super spoilery but yes there's like certain situation i was like oh my god he's gonna do it he's gonna do that like i was like and then sure enough i was like oh god like
1: that's what foreshadowing does for you
0: yeah <laughs> right the heart breaks a little bit but it's just like well it's okay it's just a book right like
1: it's just- that's right in the end <laughs> it's just a book
0: Exactly. Talking about um, kind of going back to you talking about like uh, switching back and forth between like, uh, what was it, time periods, I guess you could say, yeah, to switch back to Drew as a teenager learn, you know, going through the training and all that versus now where he's like, Oh God, I got to I really got to do this now. Like I haven't had to deal with this, you know? And exactly. so, yeah. <laughs> so what was that process like for you? Um, switch, having to switch back and forth in between those two, like, I guess you could say mindsets of like his experiences as a teenager and then, you know, fast forwarding 25 years to him. Yes, coming to terms with unfortunately this is his obligation because he's like the only person who could who can go on this journey, and,
1: and that he, and Drew is the only character that that bridges those flashbacks that mm. you never see, Lincoln is not in the present day. His wife is only in one instance in the past, and almost all of them are him as a teenager. Yeah, so I had to. Th- work at least i tried to work that the dialogue and the attitude of him at that time is a little simpler and a little more sarcastic a little more yeah sure you know <laughs> a little more teenager than he is as an adult um which you know which was fun because you get to try to dig in a little bit deeper into the mindset to do that and then realize that as he's going through this training, until he actually comes to that first moment where he really has a, a demon confrontation experience, not just seeing one, uh, mm. until then, he's not, he's not all that serious about it. I mean, he's paying attention, but he's not worried about it
0: mm. Yeah.
1: until he, it finally hits home and he realizes how dangerous this could be
0: yeah exactly so oh one thing i might have missed i so can the demon do they know that when uh the people who could see them can they tell by just looking at them or no Is, is um, it's but, usually something else that gives it away
1: yes the they'll they'll observe that person that mm. when one of the demons that drew confronts as an adult T- can tell that drew even though he's a sheriff's deputy and he should be in complete authority in the situation where the two of them are meeting yeah the the demons looking at him going ah you're scared and you, you shouldn't be oh, scared yeah. of me because aren't you the sheriff i thought you were in charge in this situation and then he yeah. starts to realize you're see you're too scared to not see me as i really am so it's only through that kind of observation that they'll figure it
0: out. Yeah, and I think I remember him seeing like he could the demon could smell it, like smell that fear. fear. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Okay, that's interesting because yeah, it's like unless you're if you if you could see demons and you're you're totally trained to keep your cool every time you see a, one of the horrible things that stick out like a sore thumb, it's like yeah, you can't. It's really hard to. To hide that reaction, to hide that exactly. response, to hide yep. that was interesting because I guess during that scene. Now that you're reminding me, okay, now I do remember that. But I just thought it would be very, yeah, I just thought it was very interesting. Like, wait, does do they know? Does the deep, does the demon know by just looking at him? No, he doesn't. Okay,
1: <laughs> yeah. and that's why, you know, in the first chapter, that's why Drew his mother is taking him to a psychiatrist because mm. it's killing this kid. He's seeing all these bizarre horrific things that no one else does and he doesn't realize there's a person on the outside of the demon he thinks he's demons until someone explains no no this is something special that only you and a very few other people are doing so
0: yeah and so why did you um choose like los angeles as your setting
1: um because i really like visiting Los Angeles. I always have a good time when I go there. There's a lot. I mean, it's a huge city, um, but there's a lot of great places at it. And most of the good ones I put in the story. <laughs> oh. um, and it because it's so big that it gives you the opportunity to find locations that best fit what this scene in the story needs. Mm. Whereas if I had set it in a much smaller town or a place that was not as diverse that you wouldn't get as much flexibility in getting a setting that really nails the, the, the feeling that you want to get out of a particular chapter.
0: Yeah. And I, I like how a lot of, a lot of the times the, um, the city or the region can act like its own character too mm-hmm. with the qualities and, and how the characters interact with it. Cause no, I, I, I've, I've been to LA once and I really liked it. So I definitely agree with you there. Right? Um, but yeah, we, and you know, my, my husband, and I, we did all the touristy things too. We only had a couple of days of to spend there, but yeah, I, um I just remember it was probably, you know, I would definitely go there again just to like kind of check it out some more. Um, and Los
1: Angeles also has You know, no offense to everybody in Los Angeles, but there's a (laughs) part of that idea about the demon inside and the beautiful human exterior that you don't know. Yes. There's parts of Los Angeles that have, I mean, you've got this gorgeous weather all the time and you've got the sun and you've got the beach and you've got a lot of wonderful exterior things that are great. And there's places also that have some pretty dark spots in it.
0: So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just a couple of more questions uh, before we wrap up. So, What advice would you give to 13 year old Drew and then to adult Drew and then to Anna?
1: Well, to 13 year old Drew, I would say you pay attention to all the automotive tips you're getting, okay? Because (laughs) even if you're not hunting demons, if you can fix your own car, you're going to be way ahead in life. Right. (laughs) And that's something that I do. I've got um, some restored cars that I've that I've restored that I've got in the garage. So. Oh,
0: nice! I was gonna say I could tell because there was a lot of technical details in there too that were very much that you like made part of your story. Cool. So I hope oh, you my-
1: accidentally learned something about. I did. I did. Okay, there you go. Then that job's done.
0: I know. I felt like I should have been taking notes like <laughs> during some of the explanations.
1: The the test will be when you're broken down on the side of the road. Right. That's the test. <laughs>
0: I'll have to bust out the Kindle again. Like, wait a second. It's like, what but did that Russell was, say?
1: You know, that was one of the things where, you know, when Lincoln's teaching Drew about being a demon hunter, that's that practical application that says, you know, this is what it's like, that mm. this helps him learn. He's going to learn two things at the same time. So,
0: yeah. And it made sense how he was like, well, you have to, you have to come away with, something to explain to people what you're learning from me. <laughs> Correct. you
1: can't say, oh, I learned about how to kill demons mom. <laughs>
0: so. Right. Like just say you're cured and say that you're learning how to do this. Like that's, yep. that was very smart. Um, oh yeah. So then uh, advice for adult drew and then um, Anna adult
1: drew needs to trust his wife.
0: Okay. Because he keeps <laughs> not doing that.
1: He keeps hiding things from her. He doesn't tell her the truth about himself. Um, either in the beginning, when they first start dating, um, or at least some version of the truth about himself, and as things start to unwind, he thinks he can just keep everything still hidden and it's going to be okay. And that's no way to run a marriage. And mm. um, you know, and there's folks that that have read the book and said that um, Anna was the least sympathetic character for them. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Anna's got a reason to be mad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, her husband's lying to her about some pretty important stuff. Yeah. So, and every time she thinks that things are gonna get better, he doesn't he doesn't reciprocate on the other end by helping him get better by taking her into his confidence. And yeah. so that that relationship dynamic, that imperfect relationship dynamic. Is something I want to make sure that I had in the story. You know, there's too many stories where oh, the husband and wife were in it together and you know they're working on it together, and in not in this story. And when you have a a bad thing happen to you, that is the stress test for your marriage. Yeah. And everyone will find that. That's there's some external event where somebody loses their job or somebody gets sick or you know, things that you have no control over. And that's how you know how strong it is. And this mm-hmm. is their stress test event because mm-hmm. there's a lot of things, very big things that happen to them in the story.
0: Yeah. That is true though. Like that's good advice because I'm like I I, I sympathize with him because like, mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, yeah, I don't know if I would tell my husband at first either, but then at the same time, it's like, well, who who would you be able to tell if you can't tell your spouse? Exactly you can't- right. If you can't be like, I know this. This is messed up, but it's the truth. Right, <laughs> like, you're not going to believe this, but that's on
1: you then, because I told you I can see demons. So right. you know, if you don't want to believe it, that's fine. But right. don't come back later and say I didn't tell you.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And I think one of the interact, one of my favorite um interactions was with between Marvin and Anna um when they first meet, and you get mm-hmm. to see. A different side of her, and you get to see yes. the extent, more of an extent of what he's he's dealt with his entire life. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah
1: I like their relationship a lot, mm-hmm. that, that they end up fostering together.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like, I just really liked Marvin. I mean, I will agree that she's, like, least sympathetic, but I think it, it adds to that normalcy, or that yes. common marital... Navig- have that, that's navigate what I was shooting
1: for, so I'm glad... I'm glad that came through.
0: yeah. So the one advice would you give to Anna?
1: I think Anna does pretty good. I mean, with the card she has, I think her her reaction to things going wrong with her son, I th- may you know, you could look at that and say she's not paying attention or she's blinded to what is happening in front of her. But I think that realistically she's accepting things when when she gets another explanation that's more that's less supernatural and she grabs onto that i think that's the right thing to do in real life you know Mm -hmm. you don't jump to demon position with a normal psychological (laughs) reason that someone's doing something um i think she does pretty good with what she's got
0: yeah that's yeah you don't always jump to uh oh my my son lost his soul like (laughs) right (laughs) i mean Something if you do off the
1: table you don't say oh we have a ghost yeah <laughs> so. right
0: right like unless i mean maybe some people do but that's you know it's not it's not the common reaction I <laughs> <laughs> okay so as we wrap up here uh do you have any future projects in the works are we going to get more drew and marvin and and all that or you're not sure yet
1: Uh, Well, right now I've got another book that was just released from Severed Press. It's called The Quest for the Queen's Temple, Mm -hmm. and that came out last week. That is an adventure story where Rick and Rose Sinclair are a couple of antique dealers in 1938, and they find a journal that tells them where, hopefully, the uh, lost treasury of the Queen of Sheba is in Arabia and so it's an adventure story where they head out to that they hope to find jewels and instead they find a variety of giant monsters and some supernatural threats and it's a fun adventure story
0: yeah (laughs) Um, is that also like um, an adult geared for adults yes yeah okay
1: Um, but the all my uh, severed press stuff is PG-13 so I don't put any sex or any uh, language in it, but I yeah. don't dumb the writing down any. Yeah. So it's uh, family friendly if you don't mind people being eaten by giant monsters. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then right now I'm writing actually a prequel to demon dagger which is set in the california mission system in the 1700s so in this story there's a new priest who gets assigned to the missions with no idea that there is any supernatural demonic possession elements going on he thinks it's just missionaries and he goes and gets caught up in it um and there's uh a lot of interesting things going on with a demonically possessed tribal leader and uh whereas we have the demon dagger in this one we have some other um religiously enhanced demon tools yeah (laughs) going on in this story so
0: that's okay cool okay that's awesome to see. so that you found some really captivating material when you were doing your research yeah when i (laughs) as i was
1: doing the backstory to this i'm like hey this could be a whole novel (laughs) yeah and so we'll see if it does
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I will, uh, you know, if you are curious uh, and want to flesh out more of Marvin stories, I'm definitely on board for that too. Oh yeah. (laughs)
1: Marvin's great.
0: He is, he is, he was one of my favorite characters that I've encountered in a while. I don't, I don't know something about him, man. Your heart feels for him, but then you're also like, he's also kind of funny. I don't know. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) And I think, and, and I put that, that's like his defense mechanism from the way his life has rolled yeah but, you know he's got a bit of a sense of humor uh and has to because he's got a he's got a tough path
0: yeah 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 for sure and that's that's you know that makes him so sympathetic but also just his personality too it's he's real, it's really he's really hard not not to not to f- I don't want to say fall in love, but it's like yeah, right. you get a you get a a little little uh, attached to them. It's it's hard not to, right? Um, so, alrighty, we've got Demon Dagger coming out August thirteenth. Russell R. James, thank you so much uh, for it's chatting nice talk with, with you. us today. Yeah, absolutely, a nice chat chat with you as well. You on a, any other social media stuff that you want to plug real quick?
1: Yeah, I'm on uh, Facebook as Russell James author or Russell R. James, um, just as a normal Facebook account, you can find me either way. I'm on a Twitter at uh, rrjames14 you want to try that and i'm on instagram but i haven't really figured it out yet so <laughs> if you put my name on something it'll show up and i'll see it so uh, okay that, that's, as, that's as much as i figured out instagram so far so
0: that's well, all right take your time i don't know yeah <laughs> you'll be you're fine <laughs> all righty well thank you so much and you know we'll we'll keep an eye out for everything else that you've uh, got coming out soon all right thank you and that's it. That was Russell R. James talking about Demon Decker. Again, that comes out on August 16th. Um, as always, rate, review, subscribe. You can check out the show notes to see links to purchase the book and also where to follow Russell on his website or social media. You can read my entire book review on nerdcantina.com and always, you know, go ahead and, and browse around my other reviews if you're looking for your next read. Um, and as always, thank you so much for listening. Bye.